And well, good morning. I'm so excited to have you here today. Why don't we all stand? And as you stand, I want to kind of preview with you today. We're going to jump into what's called the Sixth Commandment. It's the commandment that says that, that you shall not murder. And, and I'm just going to be up front with you. We're going to start with a text that is it's not maybe the most exciting text you've ever heard. But this is where we're going to launch our, our message out of today. From 1 John chapter 3, verse 15. Listen now to the Word of God. Here's what it says. It says, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Now, right there, we'll stop, and you can sit back down. And as, as we begin today, we're going to begin with this reality of, of what is murder. Well, we're going to talk about that, but more than just the, the physical aspect of taking someone's life, we're actually going to, by the end of the morning, we're going to peek inside of our hearts. Now, to do that, I'm going to ask you, when's the last time you, when's the last time you lost your temper? When's the last time you really just kind of like flipped your lid, right? Maybe it was sometime this past week or, you know, I don't know, maybe it was getting ready for church this morning and you just, you kind of lost it. How, how bad was it? How bad was it the last time you lost your temper? Did you, did you yell at someone? Did you, did you say some, some names or say some things that you wish you could take back? Did you get, did you get physical with someone? You grab someone or maybe hit someone or, or maybe instead of hitting someone, you, you did that thing where you decided to take your anger out on a wall, right? How many of us have done that? Don't raise your hand. I don't want to know. But how many of us have decided to take our, our anger out on a wall? And uh, actually, some people I know have done it and they've, they've discovered a stud inside the wall instead of the... That's not a pretty picture. I remember the last, not the last time. I remember one of the moments in my life where I lost my temper more than maybe I ever had before. It was years ago, and I'd been, I'd been uh, discipling a, a young guy, and, and he'd been kind of using all of the Christian language. And he'd been doing it in a way that as he was wrestling with some major issues in his life, I, I, I was beginning to think that there was some progress being made. I was beginning to think that, that there was some hope, and we were moving forward in the right direction. And then it all came crumbling down one night when I realized that most everything he had been telling me was just... A bold-faced lie. In fact, that night I discovered that some of the, the ways he'd been telling me about his pursuit of the things of God, he was actually telling me those things to manipulate me so he could go and do the opposite of what God commands. The moment I found him in this, it's a moment that I can just I can picture so clearly in my mind. I, I discovered him. It was in an instant, in a moment. And in that moment, the image that went through my mind literally was of me just like, like ramming into him and there being nothing left of him. <laughs> that, that, I'm not proud of it. That, that, that is exactly how I felt. You ever been that angry? You know what I discovered about myself in that night? You know what I discovered hidden beneath the title of pastor? You know what I discovered hidden beneath all of my Bible knowledge and all of the good that I've done and all of the ways that, that I had been following Christ? You know what I discovered in my heart that night is that I had, I had murder hidden in my heart. How about you? You found that you have murder hidden in your heart? 
Have you come to to the reality that this commandment we're going to look at today, we're going to look at this this commandment that says, thou shalt not kill. Have you realized that this goes deeper beyond just being able to say, well, I've never killed anyone, uh, or thou shalt not murder. This goes deeper than saying I've never murdered anyone. What we're going to see today what we're going to see is that you, you do have hidden murder in your heart. But, but here's, the, here's the deal. Jesus is going to teach us today that you have to kill the hidden murder in your heart. You, you can't ignore it. You can't bury it. You can't act like it's not there. You can't make excuses. Sooner or later, you have to deal with it, and you have to deal with it the way Christ has dealt with it, and you have to kill that hurt, hidden murder in your heart. Now, to do it, we're going to base it off of this text in Exodus chapter 20, verse 13. We've been walking through the Ten Commandments. And if you've been with us, we, we've talked about, we took two weeks saying, what does the law of God do? We said, first of all, the law of God, it points us to the gospel. When we read the Ten Commandments, there's not one of us that says, oh man, I am awesome. All of us, we look at it and we say, oh man, I am in trouble. So we need a Savior. And so that's what God's law does. It points us to Jesus and his death and resurrection. And then when we're in Christ, God's law, it still serves us. It serves us as a standard. This is how you love God. And this is how you love your neighbor. So we went through the first four commandments. How do we love God? And now we're in the the next six commandments. Last week we talked online. Thanks for those who joined. We miss seeing you here, by the way. But we talked about how to honor your parents, how to love your parents. And today, we're going to talk about how to love our neighbor by honoring their life. Really, we're going to say, though, we'll look at this commandment, verse 13, you shall not murder. You know, in, in the Hebrew text, this is, uh, this is only two words. This commandment is only two words. In fact, the next few, they're only two words each. It's, it's almost as if God was making it so clear and so simple that you can sit down with your five-year-old and you can say, here's what God says about life. He says life is valuable. Life is precious. There's two words, not murder. That's what we're going to look at. Now, now to do it, let's, let's begin with understanding what murder really is. Let's actually begin with understanding why this is so important to God. If you open up with me, we're going to follow along in our notes, and we're going to see that to murder, here's what to murder is. To murder is to dishonor the image of God that he has placed on a man. You see, every person made, everyone in this world, everyone in this room, everyone online, everyone in your family, everyone in your workplace, everyone in your neighborhood, every enemy you have, every single one of them, God has made us all in his image. In Latin, we call it the imago Dei. It's this image of God and, and the value and the worth that he's placed on every one of us. And so God, he has made us. That means God has given value to everyone. And so when you murder, when you take a life, you're actually devaluing, you're dishonoring, not just that life, but the image of God on someone. Genesis 9, chapter 9, verse 6, says it like this. It says, whoever sheds the blood of a man, by man shall his blood be shed. Listen to the Why? For God made man in his own image. You understand the why? The why is just as important, maybe even more important than the what. Here's the command, do not murder. But here's the why. When you take a life unjustly, when you murder, it's an affront to God, the creator who made that person. See, murder in this context is, it's, the violent act of evil desire 
that results in death. The violent act, it's, it's the physical act when you, when you strike out against someone with an evil desire in your heart and, and it results in someone's death that, that's not merited. And, and so this, is, this happens in all sorts of different ways in our society. I mean, we think about murder and typically what we think of, we think of that moment of rage, that moment of passion when things get heated and, and someone strikes out against another person. We think about a late night bar fight or we think about the jealousy between people in, in life and in that moment when someone takes another life. But, but as as believers, we see murder as, as a very broad category. Oftentimes we talk about we want to value life from, from the womb to the tomb. We, we say everyone that's living has dignity and value. Everyone that God's made, not just that moment of heated passion in, in a fight, but, but from, from even before someone's born. And this is why we oftentimes we, we call we call people to value life. We, we call for the end of abortion. Why? Because it's some political platform? No. In fact, oftentimes young Christians will come, they'll say, Mike, I, I don't understand why Christians make such a big deal about abortion. Here's why. Because you don't get it very far into the Ten Commandments until you, God lays it out very clearly. He, he, he makes every person in his image. And, and that child in a womb has been made in his image. And so this is something of value. This is something of worth. And this is something as believers that we, we are called to raise our voice and say, you shall not murder. It's not complicated. It's, it's, it's really not even something that should be up for debate. But, but that's not just here at a preborn, and that's not just in the moment of rage or the moment of passion and argument, but that even extends to the end of life. Our culture isn't just pushing a culture of death toward those who have yet to be born. Our culture is pushing a culture of death toward those who are toward the end of their life. We get all sorts of ideas about physician-assisted suicide. There are countries in Europe that are even legalizing euthanasia. Now, Last night, my daughter asked me, what's up with teenagers in Asia? I said, no. Youth in Asia, this is, this is the idea of, of the, the lawful killing and the lawful taking of a life. As, as, our, as our society values young people more and more and it devalues those of age, our society, the logic goes something like this. Well, that person, they're not contributing to society. In fact, they're actually they're, 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 they're taking from society more than they're contributing. So their life is obviously not, more, not valuable. And so, so what, what, it makes sense to, to, to not just push them to the margins, but to let their life, not just let, but to take their life. This is all lunacy. This is all lunacy for those who are willing to think clearly according to God's word. And, and these two simple words, not murder. You see, not only is, is, is murder, is it, a, is it to dishonor the image of God on, per, on a person or, uh, that he's placed on someone, but, but to murder, here, here's your newsflash. To murder is not loving. I, I, I know you've got to pick your jaw off the table. So, something so amazing, so profound. Like, you've probably never heard anything like that before. To murder, it's not loving. It's like the Captain Obvious commercial on TV, right? Like, Captain Obvious, he says, hey, the sun's shining, and everyone sees the sun shining. Like, thank you, Captain Obvious. Well, listen, Captain Obvious, thank you very much. To murder, regardless of who, it's, it's not loving. 
In Jesus' commandments, when he, when he takes the, the Ten Commandments and he summarizes for it, he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and strength, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Simply put, this means you should not murder. <laughs> this is the reality. This is the truth. This is the why. To murder, it dishonors the image of God that he has placed on every person that he has created. But, but when I talk to people about this. There's been times in my life where I've had someone say, well, Mike, that must mean that you are, uh, you will not defend yourself because that might lead to you murdering someone. I've heard people say, Mike, that must mean that you are against capital punishment completely because that, that's, that's murdering, but, but we have to slow down a little bit and we have to say, what does the scripture actually teach? And when the scripture actually teaches that, that to murder is not the same as to kill, these are two different ideas, two different, actually multiple different words in the scripture. The word to murder is used 38 times in the Old Testament, and it's used to be as a negative, uh, something pro, pro, that's prohibited that you are not to do. But then you get to the word to kill or to slay. It's used over 160 times, sometimes even commanded. Then you get to the word to end a life. It's used over 200 times, again, Sometimes even commanded. You see, we need to understand that to murder and to kill, they are not the same things according to God's word. In fact, if you understand this, you understand the way God has made the world to work. See, when it comes to the difference between murdering and killing, God is actually not only giving government responsibility, but he's actually given individuals rights. Let's wade into this a little bit. I know this might be a little bit off the beaten path, but I think in today's culture, in our world today, we, we desperately need some biblical wisdom in how we think about these things. So let's start with the government. The government, governments have the responsibility to punish evil. It's government's job to punish those who do evil. Let me show you what I mean. We mentioned this last week in Romans 13. Romans 13, verse 3 is where I'll start. It says, it says for rulers, the, the government, they are a terror, not, they are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. Time out. This is saying, generally speaking, if all things are working the way they're meant to, a citizen should not be afraid of their rulers if they are doing what is good and what is right and what is lawful. Now, there are some countries that that's not the way it works. There are some that think that's maybe where our country is going. That's not what we're debating right now. Here's the point. Generally speaking, government is, is meant to not be a terror to the average citizen. If you're doing what's right and good, you should not be afraid of government. Verse 4, for he, government, is God's servant. For your good, but if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Listen to what this teaches us about the government. First of all, we need to understand this teaches that the government is subservient to God. This says the government is God's servant. Many of us in today's world, we think government is the be-all, end-all. Government says this. Government wants this. this is, government is going to help us. Government is sometimes replace, replacing God, but, but it's not the way the Scripture describes it. 
God is above government, and the government is a servant to God. In fact, the word servant here, it's the same word you find when it talks about church leadership and what a deacon is. A deacon is a servant. It says the government is a servant to God for your benefit or for your good. The government is meant to serve God. And how does the government do it? It says the government, it does not bear the sword in vain. Now, this is the imagery that is accessible to any of us. What does it mean to bear a sword? It means to punish a wrongdoer. But this is not the image of, okay, you've done wrong, and so I'm going to take you over my knee, I'm going to hit you with the flat end of the sword. Oh, the image of a sword is the image of execution. The image of a sword is the image of government punishing the wrongdoer even up to the point of taking someone's life who deserves it. Even up to the point of, of killing someone. This is the government's responsibility. And so the two key applications is, first of all, to punish evildoers. And the second key application, which is a, honestly an entire another message or series, is how the government enters into war and protects its citizens in a just fashion. We can talk about that another day, maybe. But, but for today, the reality is the government has this responsibility, a responsibility that sometimes even means to kill the evildoer. Our leaders need to hear this message today. It's not the government's job to feed you. It's not the government's job to clothe you. It's not the government's job to house you and to make sure every one of your needs is taken care of. That, that's not their job. It's not even their job to decide what is right and wrong. God's already done that. The government's job is to punish the evildoer. That's their job. But, but most of us in this room, we're not, we're not in a governmental position and so, so what does it mean for the individual citizen? What does it mean for you? If it's the government's responsibility to punish evil, the individual has the right to self-defense. This is a biblical principle. The individual actually has a right to self-defense. Uh, turn with me to Exodus 22. This is just two chapters after the, the commandment, thou shalt not murder. Two chapters after. Here, here's what it says. It says, verse 2, if a thief, let me give a little context first. This is talking about two different situations. If someone is breaking into your house, one happens at night, one happens during the day. Here's what it says. If a thief is found breaking in and is struck so that he dies, there shall be no blood guilt for him. The, the one who takes that person's life, if the thief, the idea is breaking in the night, if the loss of life happens, the person responsible for killing, they're not considered a murderer. It continues, though, verse 3. But if the sun has risen on him, this is saying in the middle of the day, if someone's breaking into their house, and there shall be blood guilt for him, he shall surely pay. If he has nothing, then he shall be sold for his theft. Here's, here's the biblical picture. It's the middle of the night. It's, it's 12 p.m. Everyone's asleep. All the lights are out. You hear a thump downstairs. You go and you find an intruder in your house, and you defend your house. You defend your family. You defend your life, and that person dies. According to God's law, you would not be held accountable or guilty. You don't know if they have a weapon. You don't know what their intent is. Everything's dark. How can you know? But that same situation, 12 hours later, noon, middle of the day, and you find someone in your house and you can see them. You can see they don't have a weapon. 
You can, you can, in that context, in that day, where houses were fairly close, or, or tents even were fairly close to each other, you can yell, hey, get out of here, and all of a sudden you got 10 different people looking at your place, seeing there's something happening here. In that moment, you don't have the right to take their life, because here's what's typically going to happen. They're going to flee. They're going to run. In that moment, if you were to take their life, you would be guilty of murder. You actually, you have a biblical right to, to defend yourself, but, but it's not without limits. I think some people, they see this, this right of self-defense, and they have what I'll call a Judge Dredd mentality. Anybody know who Judge Dredd is? It was a movie in the 90s, I think a comic before that. Judge Dredd, he's this character that happens in a time when the world is just kind of like it's fallen to pieces in the gutter. And so now the law enforcement of that day, there are these people called judges. And Judge Dredd, he goes and he finds someone breaking the law, someone doing a crime, and he arrests him. But instead of just arresting them, he says he is the judge, he is the jury, and he is the executioner. So there in that moment, he can find someone doing wrong, and he can in that moment execute them. That, that's how some of us think about it. In fact, Judge Dredd, his famous line is, I am the law. That's my Sylvester Stallone voice, by the way. <laughs> I am the law. That's how some of us want to act. You cross a line and I can do whatever I want because I am the ultimate authority. That's not the picture of self-defense in the Bible. In, in fact, not only are there limits, in particular, if you are in this room and you are a believer in Jesus and his death and resurrection, if you have been made new and you are in Christ, you need to understand what these limits are. Let me walk you through some of them. The first limit is the limit of measure. The limit of measure. In Latin, this is called lex talionis. This is the idea that from, from the book of Leviticus chapter 24 that we get the, the concept of an eye for an eye. Look with me at the passage. Leviticus 24, starting in verse 17. It says, Whoever takes a human life shall surely be put to death. Whoever takes an animal's life shall make it good life for life. Now, time out. This, you know, most of us don't have animals that are like agrarian or whatever. We, we, have, we have pets, right? So if you take my cat's life... You don't really got to replace that. My dog may be a little different, right? But, but the way it works, if you take someone's animal's life, you're supposed to replace it. Verse 19, if anyone injures his neighbor as he is done, it shall be done to him. Fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, whatever injury he has given, a person shall be given to him. Whoever kills an animal shall make it good, and whoever kills a person shall be put to death. Now, it's been said of this passage, an eye for an eye will make the whole world blind. But to say that misses the point in the context entirely. To teach an eye for an eye is actually, it does two things. First of all, it, it, it makes people think twice about doing evil, right? We don't go around poking people's eyes because we don't want our eye poked. But, but the second thing is it, it, it taps in, it taps into the base nature every one of us has. See, see, if you come and you punch me in the face, my base nature doesn't just want to punch you in the face back. My base nature wants to punch you multiple times. It, it taps into the reality, if you come and you break my arm, my base nature, my sinful nature wants to break your head. And so what this does, this says, no, no, there is a limit to what, what happens in terms of, of when evil is done. That limit, that limit of measure 
You, you can't have someone break your arm and then go and break both their legs. No, that's not how it works. An eye for an eye and a tooth for tooth. It says there is a limit of measure. You don't get to do whatever you want in retaliation. But that's not the only measure. Uh, that measure applies to all the world, but, but the next measure, it, it applies specifically for those in Christ. This is the, the limit of mercy. The limit of mercy. When we talk about mercy, we're actually going to look at how Jesus, he, he gives commentary on this Leviticus 24 passage. In, in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, oftentimes call, called the, the, the most incredible sermon ever preached, preached by Jesus himself. He quotes Old Testament, and then he, he gives commentary on it. Look, look at Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 through 42. He says, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. That's what we just read in Leviticus 24, verse 39. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil, but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Now, here's the reality. You have the right to restitution. You have the right to repayment. Someone does evil to you. Jesus is not denying that you have the right to that, but Jesus is saying, what would it look like for you to measure your response with mercy? If someone is coming after you and, and they're coming after you in a legal way, why, why won't you just bless them beyond what they're even going after? If someone, you know, rear-ends you, let's say, on your way home, and, and you know, you start to do the insurance thing, and you, know, you have every right to, to, to take from them what you deserve through insurance and all that. But Jesus is saying, what would it look like, instead of to looking out for your rights, what would it look like to show mercy? You see, when you show mercy, what are you doing? First of all, you're trusting that God will provide for you. When you give to the one who's asking, when you, when you generously show mercy to someone who maybe you, you don't have to, in that moment, you know what you're doing? You're actually saying, I trust that God's going to provide for all my needs. It's an exercise in trusting the divine providence. Here's what else you do. When someone maybe has done evil toward you, and you don't seek after retaliation, and you don't seek after retribution, you know what you do? You trust that God will provide judgment in his time. Scripture says, vengeance is mine, thus says the Lord. You say that I believe that God will deal with this better than I ever can, and so I am going to decide to show mercy. That's part of why you would do it, but here's also the other reason why you would do it. Because isn't this what God has done for you? I mean, when you think about you think about all the mercy that God has given to you. That mercy, if we're going to define it, it's, it's when God does not give you the consequence you deserve. How, much, how many of us deserve so much consequence for our sin? How many of us have, have walked a path of rebellion and sinfulness, pushing God away and saying, I'm going to do it my way? And in all of that, we have, we have earned so much of God's judgment, and yet He has decided not to pour His judgment out on us. But instead, as the Scripture says, He has lavished us with mercy. This morning as I was driving in, I was listening to, to Psalm 23. It ends, it says, Surely goodness... 
and mercy will follow me all of the days of my life. Why do we show mercy but because we have, we have received so much mercy? And so, yes, you have the right to defend yourself. It's measured with, it's limited with measure, and it's also limited with mercy. But, but here's the third limit. The third limit is the limit of mission. And this, is, this relates so closely to the limit of mercy. But the limit of mission, I want you to remember the gospel account of Jesus on the cross. He, he's been lied about. He's been betrayed. He's been beaten. He's been mocked. Now he's hanging up on the cross. And as he's hanging on that cross, the soldiers, they're, they're casting lots to determine who gets to steal his robe and his garments. You remember what Jesus prays in that moment as those soldiers are under the cross? Here's what he says, Luke 23, verse 34. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. You know, Jesus is on the cross. He, he has every right to defend himself. In fact, he has more right in that moment than to defend himself than you ever will have. In this moment, this is the perfect, sinless Son of God being wrongfully crucified. He is the only one who is perfectly innocent, and in that moment, he's taking all of our sins upon him. And as he does that, you realize that at least seven of the Ten Commandments have been directly violated against him. The first commandment, no other God... That, that commandment alone, the way they're treating Jesus, they have, def, they have defiled it. They're not loving God truly with the second commandment. The third commandment, they've been mocking him. They have not loved and honored his name. If you, you go down, the, now they're murdering him. They've lied about him. They've stolen from him. The, the religious leaders of his day, they are full of covetedness with him. They, they are despising him and everything he has. In that moment, Jesus, the Son of God, could legally, with all power and with all authority, call down legions of angels and absolutely demolish his enemies in perfect justice. But he's on a mission. He's on a mission not to judge. He's on a mission not to maintain his rights. He's not on a mission for self-defense. He is on a mission to selflessly lay down his life for the sins of the world, for my sin, and for yours. You see, we're talking about murder today. In the big picture of things, murder and kill, those are very different things. And in the, in the big picture, you actually, you have the right to self-defense, and that might result in, in, in you taking someone's life. God forbid that ever happens. But here's the reality. Even that right is limited. And for the believer, it's limited in some marvelous ways. It's limited in measure. It's limited by mercy, and it's limited ultimately by mission. What is your goal in this life? Is your goal in this life to protect yourself? Or is your goal in this life to, as Jesus says, come follow me, to pick up your cross and to lay down your life? This is what it looks like for us to understand the limits of self-defense. Now, most of us, this is not an everyday situation. 
Most of us in this room, we're, we're not making everyday decisions about how, how do I defend myself in a moment, what's right and what's wrong. So, so how, does this, how does this sit in our, in our laps today in the everyday, ordinary, normal life situations? Well, we see that to murder, it, dishonor, it dishonors God's image on man. We see that to murder is not the same as to kill, but, but here's what we see for our everyday, ordinary life situations. To murder, it's actually hidden in your heart. In the same way I tell that story earlier about me discovering this hidden murder in my heart, I think that hidden murder is in your heart as well. So, Mike, you don't know me. How, how, dare you say, how dare you accuse me of that? It, it's not me accusing you. It's actually Jesus himself. Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 and 22. Jesus says, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder. This is, this is our commandment. You shall not murder, and whoever murder, murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, You fool will be liable to the hell of fire. In this moment, Jesus uses three synonymous illustrations to, to show us just how deep into our hearts murder can exist. The first one he says is to be angry with your brother. This is the, an anger that is below the surface, that, that it, it festers and it simmers and it broods. If, if it goes on being uh, undealt with, it, it can actually result in the kind of physical action that ends someone else's life. Then he says, if you insult your brother, the, the idea of insulting here, there's, there's not a great English, English equivalent for the word, but, but it's the idea of saying that someone is foolish, or, or silly. It's actually kind of the idea of, oh, you're just empty-headed. You're kind of like, you're not important at all. But then he digs a little deeper. And then his third illustration is to say, you fool. This is like being that, that, that insult, but it's even deeper. It has a moral component. It's saying that you are, you are godless. It's the idea that you are, listen, that you are worthless. Worthless. You know what's happening in this moment when you call someone worthless? You're actually saying that the God who made that person and gave them worth, you're dishonoring them. You're doing the exact same thing murder does physically. Jesus shows us that we have this hidden murder in our heart. When does it come out for you? Is it with certain people at work? How about when we're driving? How about, how about in your home? You know, the, the, the greatest warning sign in a marriage is when you find contempt in the heart of the husband or wife for the other person. What is that contempt? It's when you start to think about the other person as worthless. When you have this brooding anger toward them. Jesus, he, he reveals this to us. And, and ultimately, you know what Jesus does? Jesus' conclusion, he says that you are guilty of hidden murder. He says you will be liable to judgment. You will be liable to the council, which is the highest form of religious judgment in that day. And then he says, ultimately, you will be liable to the hell of fire. The, the stakes are high here. 
He says these angry thoughts and these insulting words, they may never ultimately act, result in the action of you taking someone's life, but they are equal to murder in God's eyes. This gets us all the way back to 1 John chapter 3, verse 15. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. If you are fostering anger and hate and insult and contempt in your heart towards someone else, you don't have space for eternal life living inside of you. This is why Jesus concludes that you have hidden murder in your heart. That you're guilty. That I'm guilty. And not only are we guilty, but Jesus in, in, Matthew, or in Mark 7, just follow along with me for a minute, Jesus clarifies this even further. He, he clarifies that it's not the externals of life, but, but the internals that are the source of sin. Jesus' clarification, he says that outward obedience does not guarantee inward innocence. Mark 7, verses 20 through 23, we'll probably be in this passage every week for the next few weeks. Jesus said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. Here's what Jesus says. Sin's source is internal. You might be able to stand here and say, I have never murdered anyone. Guess what? That does not mean you're innocent. Outward obedience does not guarantee inward innocence. So what do we do? What do we do if we're honest enough to say that I have hidden murder in my heart? How do we respond? Do we just say, oh, dang, I'm in trouble. Jesus, he doesn't leave us hanging. He actually commands, back to Matthew seven or Matthew 5, picking right back up where we left off, Matthew 5, 23, Jesus' command, he says, deal with your hidden murder. Deal with it. Recognize it for what it is and actually do something about it. Here's what he says, verse 23. So, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. He says, come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you will be put in prison. Truly I say to you, You will never get out until you have paid the last penny. He says, deal with it. If you've got something between you and another person, you've got to deal with it. Don't ignore it. Don't make excuses for it. Don't, Don't, whatever you do, Don't go before God and raise your hand and say, Jesus, my life is yours and I love you, all the while knowing that there's unresolved conflict between you and someone else. He says, deal with it. And he makes it so simple. It's almost as simple as those two words, not murder. He says, go, be reconciled. Reconciliation is to make peace. He says, go and make peace. 
Now, I don't know about you, but if you're like me, when I hear something like this, I've got people, their faces start coming to my mind. And right after their faces come to my mind, I hear the, the uh, excuse generator fire up in the back of my mind. My excuses usually sound something like this. Man, that's going to be really hard. Oh, I don't, if I go talk to that person about that issue, that's going to be so hard. It's going to be, it's going to be too hard. I, I can't do that. That's going to be too hard, Jesus. Or my other excuse is, you know, it's going to be really awkward. I don't know about you, but I don't like awkward conversations. Andrew likes to say that he loves awkward conversations. I, I generally prefer not to have awkward conversations, right? So, so if I go to this person, maybe things are at peace right now, like, or like a fake peace. And so if I go to this, it's going to be awkward, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to drag up all this old stuff, and it's, it's just going to be awkward for them, and it's going to be awkward for me. And, and so, I, I, Jesus, I'm not going to do that. It's just better just be, leave it alone. It's better to leave alone. Or, or what about that excuse where you say, I don't know how they're going to respond, Jesus. What if I go to them and they get mad at me? What if I go to them trying to make it right and they make it worse? What about, God, that's probably what's going to happen. I can't go do this. All these excuses start popping up in my mind. But they don't match what Jesus has said. Jesus says, go. Go be reconciled. Stop ignoring it. Stop making excuses. Stop telling yourself, oh, when they'll come to me, then, then we'll be right. I'm going to wait for them to come to me. No, go be reconciled. This is all in the context of not, of not nurturing and fostering and cultivating anger and bitterness and contempt in our heart. Why? Because, because that anger and bitterness and contempt in our heart, it's equivalent with murder. It's the hidden murder of the heart. And so we, we, have, we must be motivated not just by Jesus' commands, but we, we can be motivated also by Jesus' cross. See, I, I think this is the ultimate reason why we go. Jesus' cross means the penalty for all of our wrongdoing, for all of our sin. It's been paid. 1 John, the same book that we read earlier where it says the murderer has no eternal life. He's, the same book where it says to hate is to murder. Here's what it says, 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. John says, My little children, I am writing you these things I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. Let, let's just take that for a minute. Let's just say, I am writing these things to you so that you may not have murder in your heart. But if anyone does sin, if anyone does have murder in their heart, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous Verse 2, he is the propitiation for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Now, that, that word propitiation, we handle it every so often, but it's just long enough between talking about it that we forget what it means. Propitiation is God, or Jesus satisfying all of the righteous wrath of God that was aimed at you. God is no longer angry at you because of Jesus' death on the cross. It says that when you sin, when you find that hidden murder in your heart, you have Jesus standing right there before God the Father reminding us 
that the price has been paid, that you have been cleansed, that you have been removed from your sin, that you have been made new. In fact, if we go back to Matthew 25 or Matthew 5 verse 26 where it says that you will be in prison until the last penny has been paid, guess what? Through Jesus' death, the last penny has been paid. You have no wrath, no condemnation, and no guilt hanging over your head. This is what causes us to freely forgive, to freely repent of our, our murderous hearts. This is what causes us to go and be reconciled. This is why we say that you must kill the hidden murder in your heart. Now, up to this point, we've been fairly theoretical. Up to this point, we've, we've handled this up in, almost in the, in the, in the, the mindset realm. I, I want to I give you a few handles. If you're sitting here and you're saying, oh, I got to deal with something. I got to deal with this hidden murder in my heart. If that's you, let, let me give you five Five handles for you, five, five action steps, five ways of thinking, five things to do. Here's the first one. Will you pray for a gentle spirit? Will you go to your heavenly Father and say, Father, I've got murder in my heart. <laughs> I need your help. I, it just wells up in me and I get so angsty and so angry and so frustrated and I get brooding and it comes out sideways and I end up yelling at my kids or being rude to my wife and that's not what I, God, God would you would you give me a gentle spirit? Would you help me to be humble? That's where you start. Start by begging God to work inside. The second thing is, will you remember how patient God has been with you? And this always changes my perspective so quickly. When I find that, that hitter, hidden murder in my heart, when I find that anger and that contempt towards someone, I, I try to remember to, to just stop and think about how much patience God has shown me. How patient was, was he with me when I was so rude when I was so mean, when I was so violent, when I was so angry, when I was so lustful, all of these things in my life that I have pursued, and he was patient when all he, he, he had every right to just take me and fuck me off the face of the earth. And yet he's been so patient with me. When you remember how patient he has been with you, it helps you to grow in, in patience with others. Number three, would you be aware of your prejudice? Now, I'm not talking about prejudice the way the culture is talking about prejudice right now. I'll tell you, I think that our culture right now, they want to say that everyone is prejudiced all the time. Uh, that's not what I'm talking about. Would you look into your own heart? Would you say, God, show me where I'm prejudiced against different people? Maybe against individuals who in the past that you, 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 just, you start to carry anger toward them. Maybe it's you're a guy and you're prejudiced toward women or you're a woman and you're prejudiced toward men. Maybe you are prejudiced towards a different race. You know some of the prejudice I've seen in this county? Those who are blue-collar, who can't stand someone who's white-collar and the white-collar person looking down on the blue-collar person. I, I, I've visibly seen it. That's hidden murder in your heart. Would you be aware of the prejudice in your heart? Number four is to, 
So you get some space from hateful people. Maybe you have friends that every time you're with them, you start talking in angry terms, in judgmental terms. And it, and it, and it, it turns the, 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 the pin up on your, on your murderous heart and it heats it up a bit more. Or maybe it's not a friend that you're with. Maybe it's, maybe it's a news station or a talk show radio or, or a YouTube video that every time you turn it on, you find that you just you start to hate those liberals or you start to hate those conservatives more and more and more. Maybe it's time to turn that off and open up the Word of God. Maybe it's time to turn that off or, or separate from that person and, and start to meet with your Heavenly Father in prayer. So pray for a gentle spirit. Remember God's patience toward you. Beware of prejudice. Separate from, from hateful and angry people. And lastly, will you pursue reconciliation with that person that God's already brought to mind? Would you go to them, not wait for them to come to you, but would you go to them? And here's your words. I'm sorry. I was wrong. Will you forgive me? They might say no. They might start yelling at you. They might use all sorts of creative words at you. They might get mad and all that. That's not your responsibility. Your responsibility is what Jesus said, to go and be reconciled. Here's what I don't want you to do today. I don't want you to have this, this burden on your heart, this conviction in your mind, and then you leave and you do everything you can to ignore what God's calling you to do today. Will you commit right now to follow through on the burden? Will you go and be reconciled? Will you deal with the hidden murder in your heart? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we have dug into some heavy content this morning. God, we've probably handled more than we should. <laughs> but God, we want to think rightly about these complicated issues in this, in this confusing time. God, we want to think rightly about this commandment to not murder. God, we, we, we do. We, we see the responsibility of government. We understand our own rights and self-defense. But more than that, God, we want to be men and women who, who stand for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We want to be those who don't act like we have some sort of moral superiority, but, but instead we want to be those who say that we have failed, we have sinned, and we have been forgiven because of who Jesus is and what he's done. So Father, I pray for all of us, everyone watching online or everyone in this room right now, I pray that first and foremost that you would, you would reveal your son Jesus to us. And if there's anyone here who has yet to trust that Jesus is who the scripture says, that he really did die and, and was resurrected to pay the price for our sins and to give us new life, I pray that today, right now, in this moment, you would help us to trust for the first time even. And then out of the, the work of what Jesus has done, Lord, I pray that you would give each of us a gentle spirit. God, I pray you would drain the, the bog of our hearts that's full of hate and contempt and replace it with gentleness and love and truth. God, I pray you would re remind us over and over again of how patient you have been with, to us. That would, that would lead us to be patient with others. Father, I pray that you would open up our eyes and reveal any prejudice we might have toward any person or any kind of people. Lord, I pray that we would not 
act in partiality, but instead we would see that every person has been made in your image. God, I pray you would give us the wisdom to not listen to the wrong voices, the voices that add anger and hate into our hearts. And God, I pray today that by your Spirit, you would give us the courage and the strength to go and to be reconciled. So we don't have to foster that hidden hate and that hidden murder in our hearts. Father, I I pray that as we do it, I pray that Valley would become a place of grace and love so that everyone comes, feels an overwhelming sense of joy and and just the, the peace that you have given us together. I pray that you would use that to to reach into this community and ultimately to reach into this world so that that more people would know the grace and the mercy and the love of Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.